0: Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop, after this message. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracles Nano Emulsion CBD Formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. And now...
1: I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and I'm delighted you could join us today. This week marks our second anniversary of broadcasting our show on the radio. It's remarkable to consider how far we've come since we finally were able to convince a single local talk radio station in Phoenix to air a show about cannabis at all. Today, we are thrilled to be airing on roughly 400 stations across the nation and grateful to have this public forum to raise awareness about one of the most important plant substances on earth. In the last couple of years, we've begun to see mainstream media normalizing the conversation about cannabis and public acceptance has reached an all time high. We've finally seen Congress warm up to industrial hemp in the last few days, but the DOJ still refuses to reschedule marijuana. So that means we have a lot more work to do before we see any comprehensive marijuana policy change at the federal level. Despite the amazing medical discoveries, positive impact of regulation, and scientific proof that it's necessary for human health, There are still too many whose perceptions remain clouded by decades of reefer-madness propaganda. Just today, a colleague mentioned that a local doctor told her teenage niece that the hemp oil she was taking would cause schizophrenia. I mean, that's astonishing, especially when you consider that myth was busted decades ago. But honestly, it wouldn't be fair to blame the doctor. Federal prohibition has barred federally funded academic institutions from researching cannabis in the United States, and only a handful of medical schools even mention the endocannabinoid system. It is, however, a stark reminder that there is a lot more work to do before the virtues of cannabis reach the critical mass of common knowledge. Fortunately, there's a growing number of accomplished researchers, scientists, and medical professionals who are transcending the stigma and devoting countless hours to education and advocacy. That's the topic and I am very excited to introduce you to our guest, Josh Krosny. He's the president and founder of CSC Events and Jay Canna which is a Maryland-based 501c3 nonprofit organization devoted to the advancement of cannabis science, analytic testing, and personalized precision medicine. He has parlayed his background in analytical science, recruiting and event planning into industry-wide efforts to bridge the gap between analytical sciences and the business of medical cannabis. The Cannabis Science Conference gives him the platform to advocate for improved quality of medicinal cannabis products and engage industry stakeholders in addressing the lack of unified methods and standards for testing cannabis for potency and purity. Especially passionate about helping pediatric patients suffering from debilitating illness, Josh is a contributing author for multiple publications, including The Analytical Science, Medical Jane, and Thousand Watts magazines. He's also done on-camera hosting and moderating for multiple cannabis and scientific media outlets and was recently featured in Marijuana Ventures 40 Under 40 Rising Stars in the Cannabis Industry issue, recognized two years in a row at the Cannabis Business Awards as 2016 and 2017 MVP of the Year and he was featured in a cover story for a 1,000 Watts Magazine 2017 420 issue. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. It's really a pleasure to, to join you. I am excited to start talking to you about the scientific event that you have coming up this year. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to get involved with the event. So uh,
2: that's a great question. It was something that I personally have been interested in the cannabis industry and kind of on the sidelines. Uh, I'm based in Baltimore, Maryland. So kind of based on the sidelines and watching what the West Coast was doing over the years. So I kind of started to get involved and I started attending some shows and I saw that there was really a lack of developing science. There wasn't really a whole lot of things that focuses on the quality control and the testing and extraction technologies of the industry uh, and as you touched on my bio you know i have a background in analytical staffing and recruiting so this uh for me it just kind of pinged in my mind there's this huge void and what an important void you know when you're talking about the quality of of cannabis that you know medical patients are using especially when you're looking at and compromised patients so i really just wanted to kind of band together and and use some contacts that I had from the science industry, connect them with some of the people I started working with, you know, more on the business side of the cannabis industry. Um, and I'll be completely honest with you when we first started planning our first event for CSC events, it was not really intended to be a huge convention conference type of thing. But I, I learned early on in this process that there was just such a need for this and it just grew and grew and initially in our first year in in 2016 we went through three venues leading up to the first conference because we just kept outgrowing and plateauing in in the spaces that we were at in the way of uh, vendors as well as attendees so we were really great that we were able to keep adapting and and growing um, into new locations and then we did uh, move to the convention center after our first show in 2017 Uh, We were at a hotel uh, venue in 2016, and after the first one, we obviously knew that we were either going to plateau there, or if we were going to continue to grow, we'd have to kind of kick it up a notch um, and do one of the larger centers.
1: So how many people attend normally?
2: So we're working on our third one. I'll give you the quick rundown of kind of the trajectory of since we started. So in 2016, we had about 800 attendees for our first show uh, and about 75 vendors in the way of exhibitors and sponsors. And then our first show at the convention center, which just wrapped up the 2017 Cannabis Science Conference in August of 2017, we had about 2,400 attendees and about um, 125 vendors. So this year, we're really gearing up and pushing for at least 3,000 attendees, and we're looking to have about 160-plus vendors this year.
1: And so for people listening, this is taking place in in August, I think you said the 15th and 16th, is that correct, in Portland, no, Oregon? so it's um – Yeah, so the
2: conference is uh, the 2018 Cannabis Science Conference is August 27th through 29th in Portland at the Oregon Convention Center. And on the 27th of August, pre conference event that we do is called the Canna Boot Camp. And that's a really fun, um, exciting event that we do. That's a full day hands on workshop that covers many aspects of the cannabis industry, including testing, sample preparation, extraction, cultivation, uh, manufacturing, and and so on. So this is really, like I said, a hands-on full day training workshop where uh, participants come and they kind of go through different sections throughout the day um, and they hit on each of these different topics that I mentioned and they get real life demonstrations and get to go up and do hands-on uh, volunteering and actually running the equipment and, and testing out some of these technologies that are being used for uh, whether it be cannabis testing or cannabis extraction or even in the cultivation side of things or, or edibles manufacturing for instance so that has been really really popular It sold out in 2016 and 2017 and we're uh, um, a little over halfway to being sold out this year, so um, we definitely encourage people if that's something they're interested in to get those early. Because come uh, you know early July, mid July, those those will definitely be gone.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure that it will be. And there seems to be such a need for this sort of thing. And especially educating people about the importance of the science of cannabis. So I mean, so many people have different perceptions about what cannabis is, what it does to your body. You know, some people are more interested in the fun that they feel they can have with it, as opposed to the medical benefits and stuff like that. But I think that there really is throughout the medical community the scientific community and the educational community as well there's there's such a gap between what information is really readily available and what needs to be learned about the cannabis plant and I mean, in your experience, you've probably met a lot of people in that space who are out there advocating for more education and more medical training. And what are some of the most specific aspects that you feel need to be covered as you, as you move into this next conference?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that um that's like exactly like what I was saying before about, you know, filling these voids and bridging these gaps. And that's exactly why we kind of wanted to come in and and do what we're doing with this. And, you know, I really feel like some of the biggest gaps that need to be bridged are obviously physician education. There's a lack of that right now. Doctors are not being classically trained about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system and their medical training. Doctors like, for instance, Dr. Uma Ballin who's a, a dear friend and one of our speakers year after year, um, she's a Harvard, you know, trained doctor. She never learned about the endocannabinoid system, never learned about cannabis as medicine, never learned about the fact that this was used in medicine. It was in the U.S. pharmacopeia, you know, before the reefer madness and the stigmatization. So for people like her who are now in, involved in this industry, it's, it's infuriating that they go through all these years of education, you know, Obviously, it's not, you know, exactly cheap to go and become a doctor and especially twice over. So really, I think that we need to see more of these universities really training and educating doctors more on this. Um, You know, the hard thing with the university factor is obviously cannabis is a federally illegal drug. So when you're looking at hospitals and universities and things like that, there is that huge risk of them losing their federal funding. And, you know, obviously, you know, some of these institutions get quite a bit of their, you know, annual intake from from federal funding. So I think that's a big portion. I think obviously, you know, patient education, um, enough can't be said for that. I think that it's very important, whether it be cannabis or you know other drugs in you know in Western medicine when you're talking about pharmaceuticals. I think it's very important for a patient to have a relationship with their own healthcare and to know why what they're using is working for them and how to have a conversation with their doctor or their cannabis specialist about what's going on in their life. I think um, obviously chemist analytical um, chemist education is really important. That's one thing that we see a lot of, and we we get a lot of that at our boot camp. Is um, we'll see. You know, expert analytical chemists that are, you know, genius in their trades, but, um, and they obviously know the equipment that we're using to do cannabis testing and extraction, but they don't necessarily know the applications that it's being used with. And one of the things um, that can make it difficult for, like, for, for instance, a chemist that's getting involved with cannabis for the first time is, you know, cannabis. Can be so many different consistencies you know it can be you know uh, lotions it can be tinctures it can be you know obviously flour it can be concentrates so this you know variance in the matrices makes it sometimes difficult to know exactly what you're going to do so obviously you know, you can't test all these different things exactly the same way. So it's coming up with the standard procedure for each of these different consistencies. So, I mean, for me, those are three of the, the biggest um, areas that really need the bridge of the gap of education. And, and one thing I think that gets left out a lot is not just the medical um, aspects of cannabis and the potential, you know, benefits and, and health, you know, health things. I think it's also really important for everyone to be educated on the history of cannabis, both going all the way back in time to first use and discovery to U.S. history when, you know, this wasn't medicine until the late 1930s. I think it's very important for people to do the research on the people that were involved and in, in the propaganda of, you know, the reefer madness is what we all call it. I think enough can't be said about that because I can't tell you how many times that I speak with people, even people that, you know, would you would consider part of the industry and they don't know that whole backstory on how we kind of lost this as a medicine in the U S.
1: Yeah. And another thing that I think is missing from the nomenclature throughout this country, especially is the environmental impact that cannabis can have on um, industry. So absolutely. yeah, it's it really is uh, one of the most abundantly available resources, if only we would grow it here. <laughs> it could replace fossil fuels for everything. You, you mentioned so much there, and uh, Dr. Uma, I adore her, and she is one of the biggest medical champions in terms of getting the word out, and especially in light of the opiate epidemic and when you're dealing with athletes and people who have debilitating pain issues being victimized by the pharmaceuticals that they're taking and becoming addicts. And she really advocates for cannabis as an exit drug to help people wean off of some of those super dangerous drugs that they're being prescribed by their doctors. And, you know, that's why it's so astonishing when I hear stories like, Uh, what I mentioned earlier about doctors not being educated enough to know that they shouldn't be telling patients that cannabis is a dangerous drug that's going to give them problems in their lives. And it's so important to keep the conversations going with all of these doctors. And I think also you're right, the gap in the standardization and educating the chemists, that's also a pretty big deal. We actually just learned about a company called Verax, which is launching an entire program. And at some point, I'd love to introduce them to you. But they're basically science-oriented from the medical community, pharmaceutical side of things, who have observed some of the deficiencies in the standardization across the board and the ability of testing that's consistent from state to state, because not every state has, like you said, not every state has those quality assurance testing requirements and You know, everybody wants to ensure that the medicine they're, they're taking is consistent with what's scientifically evident for whatever conditions they're taking. So to have that kind of platform, that kind of testing that's available and available on a university level so it can be transferred across state lines through permitting is just so incredibly important. So it's exciting that you're out there educating people about that as well. You know, I think it's really interesting, um, and a lot of people kind of their jaw drops when I tell them this,
2: but, you know, California did not require quality control testing whatsoever until they've now brought on their recreational programs. You guys recently spoke with Tracy Ryan, who's a dear friend and colleague of mine. I'm actually on the advisory board of Canna Kids as well, so I work really closely with Tracy um but you know tracy and brands like tracy obviously for years and years that they've been operational before 64 obviously were doing testing and they were going above and beyond what the state required them to do but i just i think it's kind of interesting when you look at that example of all of these years we 've been giving it to medical patients and not really that worried about the the testing um, and, and requiring it and now, all of a sudden that it 's a recreational program, it is being implemented and you know it 's like you said it's, it's on one token, you know there's so many different forms of cannabis, so having that exact cannabinoid profile, you know some people say strain, I think in, I use the word strain as well, but I think in the future, when we 're looking at a medical situation and we're talking about specific conditions, I think for the future of this as like medicine, I think we'll start to refer to cannabinoid profiles more so than names of strains because I'm sure as you know, if you're in Colorado and you have a blue dream and then you go to California and you have a blue dream and then you go to Massachusetts and have a blue dream, chances are they're all going to be different and slightly different and maybe even very, very, very different uh, when it comes to the cannabinoid profiles. And you know we've learned that different cannabinoid profiles help different conditions better or worse. So and then there's obviously that token, but then on the flip side of that it's the contamination issue. So if you know we end up giving cannabis to God forbid a pediatric uh, cancer cancer patient that's going through chemo, that's going through radiation, whose you know tiny little immune system is already so compromised, you know the last thing we want to do as an industry is make people sicker. You know what I mean? We want to use this miracle plant to you know help people get better. And I always say that, you know, cannabis itself is inherently safe and no one has ever died of direct overdose of cannabis. But when you start to talk about contaminated cannabis, especially in immunocompromised individuals, you could have problems on your hands. When you're talking about molds and pesticides and and heavy metals and solvents and, you know, when you're looking at the elderly population or the pediatric population, most of these individuals are using some kind of concentrated tincture um and the thing with you know extraction processes are If, you know, the cannabis is contaminated and you put it through an extraction process, you're not just extracting the cannabis to a higher potency, you're also extracting any contamination present to a higher potency, potentially.
1: Yeah, and that is so incredibly dangerous. And um, Tracy and I talked about that a little bit, too. We made a reference to our friend, Dr. Sue Sisley, who's doing the PTSD study, and the challenges that she's having with the product that she's having to give to these veterans that could actually be causing harm. Because they're being grown by the government. They won't, they won't permit yeah. her to use any other cannabis other than what they grow at the University of Mississippi. And unfortunately, that product is, is really um, substandard quality and has fewer medical benefits than just standard cannabis grown for specific profiles that would be much more effective for the veterans that she's she's treating in the study, and it's, it's really quite unnerving. You mentioned something else, too, with the availability, the restrictions that we have due to the federal law. One thing that really irks me to absolutely no end is the fact that pharmaceutical companies have just been granted, let's see, I think there were six pharmaceutical companies that were recently granted by the Department of Justice uh, permits to import thousands of tons of cannabis product and also coca leaves and raw opium from the poppy to import in huge volumes into the United States. And yet they still won't allow the medical community to grow domestic cannabis for testing and clinical study. It it just seems like such a, a it's a double standard in so many different ways but oh, these pharmaceutical absolutely. companies are altering the the natural plant substances to create pharmaceuticals that that won't be on the schedule 1 or schedule 2 of the controlled substances act by taking you know just an organic substance and adding Synthetic element to it or adulterating it to the point where the chemical profile is not the same as what is listed in the scheduling. So this is something that I think um, needs to be broadcast (laughs) to get people aware of this so that as these laws are being passed, people understand the importance of legalization, not just to make people sitting on couches eating popcorn, but to actually open up the access to the science community to do clinical studies that are meaningful and that can use high quality tested product to arrive at some of these conclusions that they already have anecdotal evidence for. So that's why your platform is so very important because you're getting people interested in that science of cannabis and getting them to understand the importance of uh, educating the scientific and the medical communities and the consumers so that they can apply pressure to their lawmakers Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the thing is, I kind of sometimes remind people that it
2: really shouldn't be so surprising that the National National Institute of Drug Abuse is not really trying their best to, you know, open up like what they're doing with cannabis, because obviously, you know, that's not their primary role to provide, um, you know, cannabis for medical research. But at the end of the day, they are. Um, The problem with, with that whole conversation is that I kind of always jokingly use this reference how you know, the cannabis has just changed so much over the years and people you know, will say, oh, this isn't your, your parents' weed or your parents' cannabis. I kind of jokingly like, say to that, well, what is being grown right now with the archaic standards is your parents' cannabis from the government. So, I really would love to see them open that up the, the the licenses to actually grow for research up to some more entities but really it's it 's more to do with the standards that they 're having to grow the cannabis with or the, what they 're using is you know is just not great and sue's a great dear friend of mine as well and and I remember the first time she was showing me the photos um, you know the, the, our government makes such a big fuss about all this, and you know it's it 's federally illegal. But, you know, when she received her first package from the government, it was sent in, I believe, a FedEx or a UPS truck. And the guy that brought the shipment to her didn't even know what he was delivering. And, you know, they're all, you know, out there with cameras and, and video people and stuff. And the guy's like, what am I delivering? You know, and she's like, oh, it's a bunch of cannabis from the government. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. It, interesting. it just came on like a FedEx or a, or a UPS. I can't remember. It was one of the two. Um, but I, I just thought that was really interesting, but, um, but yeah, Sue is great. She's actually, um, spoke for us last year as a keynote and she's coming back again this year. Uh, we also just announced today that we're going to have Dr. Ethan Russo give a keynote. Tracy's going to give a keynote. She's got a great story. Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, um, from Tana Centers in California. She's going to give a keynote. Obviously, Uma is going to be back. Um, Uma gives a great talk and then uh we have a panel that follow is going to follow her talk that um she, me and her developed last year at our show called the doc and the jocks so she kind of um is the moderator and the doctor and then we have a panel of um ex-nfl and different um sports league players so uh, last fantastic. year we had yeah last year we had her And it was Jim McMahon and Marvin Washington. And this year we're going to have Marvin and we're talking with like Riley Cote and Evan Brighton, um, and probably Jim again. So that's really fun. A lot of people really loved and, you know, enjoyed attending that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we have so many great speakers and that is like, that's one of the things that I'm just so proud and excited about is that we've been able to work with such great people from all over the world, um, over the past few years. Um, So this year we're adding a third track. So for 2017, we had um, our science track, which covered like um, testing, extraction, sample prep, um, things like that. And then um, medical, which obviously covered things like, you know, drug development, international medical updates, you know, like what's going on with cannabis all around the world, Um, you know, palliative patients, pediatric patients, um, case studies, clinical trials, things like that. And then We're really excited. This year, we're launching a third track called the Cultivation Science Track. And I have three great friends that are um, working with us to curate the content for that track. Um, Dr. Jacqueline Green and Dr. Roger Kern is a husband and wife team. And um, they've been uh, full-time consultants in the cannabis industry for uh, a little over year, maybe a couple years for Roger at this point. But um, they're actually formerly from NASA's uh, JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And they've done a ton of research there on growing agriculture in space. So it's really great to have you know, people like that working with us to help us um, curate the content for that cultivation track. Because, again, we, that's going to be very, very scientific and not just, you know, I'm the best grower. or Who's the best grower? It's the science of
1: growing. Well, what's wonderful about having someone who comes from a non-cannabis background who's got such high qualifications, it adds so much credibility to the topic. Absolutely. I think that that is one of the most important aspects of having public figures out there, people that are recognizable to just about everyone in the public eye talking about cannabis and normalizing the topic of it. And I've interviewed Uma and a number of the athletes that, you know, rotate onto her panel. it's, It's absolutely incredible the amount of support that we're getting from the athletic level. But when it comes to the athletic franchises, they're fighting it, tooth and nail. And I haven't quite figured out why. <laughs> it's something as a journalist that's piqued my curiosity. Yeah. but I, I'm unable to get any responses from like the NFL. You know, why? Why are you not pushing this as an alternative? Why are you fighting it? And Absolutely. So, well, these, and, you know, and we're just pumping them full of, you know, opiates or other medications to get them back on the
2: field. And it, when you look at these players, like th- when they're when they're in these leagues, they're lifted up like gods, like celebrities. But really, by the league and by their teams, they're treated like workhorses. Like they they work them until they can't anymore. You know what I mean? And then their career's over in the sense of professional. And and it's just terrible because when you see these hits that these guys are taking over and over and over again, and you know, for us as a society to not know a lot about these CTEs and like what you know is behind all this. I think that these leagues owe it to these individuals that if they, if they want to try something else, let them try it. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yes, absolutely. And it doesn't affect their performance in any way. It's not like the typical doping that you hear about that actually gives an unfair advantage to players who aren't, aren't taking steroids, for example, it doesn't have any impact like that whatsoever. And it actually will protect their brains so that when they do sustain these hits, they're not going to be so debilitated 10 years later with premature dementia and depression and all of the things that come along with a traumatic brain injury. So you're absolutely right about that. So, yeah, it's very, very important to keep this conversation going. And actually, I invite people to come onto our archives at thecannabisreporter.com. And look through some of the speakers that will be at conference, because we've got Dr. Uma, of course, and also Dr. Cicely. We've had her on the show. We've had a number of the individuals that you've mentioned. So they can just peruse through your website, see who the speakers are and go on to ours and maybe listen in advance to become even more interested in what they're going to have to say at the conference, because obviously they're not going to be talking about the same things with me that they will be at the scientific conference, so, but it might give a really good idea of what they can expect from some of these really high profile people, athletes and doctors who are out there fighting for this cause. I'm so excited about the future too, and I'm sure that by now you've heard that the Senate has overwhelmingly approved the next steps for a hemp bill. And I'm delighted about that. It's not marijuana, but it's hemp, and it's the step in the right direction. At least now they're finally acknowledging that putting hemp on Schedule 1 was a complete mistake, as many of my guests on this show who are in former prosecutors and former law enforcement officers all say it's such a miscarriage of justice to have anyone serving time in prison for you know, a plant that has never killed anyone, like you said, it is just, it's pretty amazing to me. So truth is, there are still
2: people sitting in prison. And you know, a lot of people don't think about that, because they think, oh, it's legal here, it's legal in over half the country. But there are a lot of people. And you know, the sad thing is, you know, to go in a different direction, is obviously, you know, the war on drugs has you know, negatively affected. You know, people of color and communities of color more than anything. And you know, for like I'm in Baltimore, for instance. You know, I've I've known some people and been connected with people. You know, when when states have three strike loser laws, you could be arrested three times with a little bit of cannabis each time. But that third time, you're that three strike loser law. You're getting some severe sentence. And it's like it's like you just said, it's not right for people to be. Um, sitting in prisons and, you know, building on this corporate prison system that we have here. Um, You know, meanwhile, there's so much other things going on. You know, I don't think that the people that are using cannabis should be, you know, enemy number one to to the state or the government. I like what I see California doing. They're doing a lot of social equity. They're trying to, you know, get people released that, you know, have nonviolent cannabis charges or even drug charges. So I just think that, you know, like we talked on earlier, the reefer madness and the propaganda, like all of that worked for, you know, over 80 years. So now we're really trying to change perceptions. And, you know, the, the thing that I find unfortunate is the baby boomer generation and, and older still have these ideas in their mind because that's what they were raised with.
1: That's exactly right. And unfortunately, that is the generation that could actually use cannabis the most because what they're finding with some of these age-related diseases is that they are actually either caused or exacerbated by a deficiency of the endocannabinoid, oh, the endocannabinoid. system. Yes. So, and, and a lot of people don't understand this, but it's, it's a tough nut to crack. I mean, when you've perceived a certain truth because of propaganda that's been drilled into your head for 60 years of your life, to all of a sudden try to undo that knowledge that, that you believe is truth is a very difficult thing, you know? And I, I think that that goes to a lot of the problems that we have in our society with this division that's happening right now, because you have extreme views on all sides trying to fight with untruths that have been expressed over and over and over again. And they say, you know, if you, if you tell a lie often enough, it becomes someone's truth because they hear it, it's marketing 101, you know, advertising 101. You say it over and over and over again, and, you know, eventually somebody believes it. Well, you know, that's what happened with Reefer Madness, and, you know, but that's why we have to make so much noise, because, you know, we have to start contradicting those falsehoods out in the public so that people really get a clear understanding that they've been fed a bill of goods, and that once they begin to understand the truth, it could benefit their own lives in tremendous ways, you know, and, and California, you good on them for actually trying to address some of the social justice issues. I heard today that a sentence was commuted by the president, a woman who was, she's already served 21 years for a first time offense. And when I hear things like that, it just breaks my heart that 21 years of her life are just down the toilet, but oh, sure. you know, thank God someone's addressing it. And I know that before President Obama left office, he commuted, I think there were like 500 or 600 nonviolent drug offenses that he you know, just to make sure that these people weren't rotting in jail for their life because they were often third-time offenders. And that three strikes Uh you're you're out, lifetime sentence that's going to put money in the pockets of the private prisons and really have no benefit on society. And if anything, it's deleterious effects on the society because you've already disrupted families of all of these 2.2 so million people who've been in jail for marijuana offenses. So you multiply that by how many people are in the family impacted and they're losing their breadwinners. When they get out of jail, they can't get a job, they can't vote. You know, they're basically marginalized from society. So, yeah. I mean, this is such an insidious problem and I'm glad that you're raising that issue too and I hope that people really start to uh, understand the importance of calling their representatives and saying, "Hey, listen, you know, help us make some noise and voting, you and know? voting, voting. You know, vote your conscience." The thing that I love
2: about cannabis, um, and this is just even crazier with you know its federal status, is you know there was a recent Quinnipiac poll that showed that ninety six percent of Democrats supported legal medical cannabis. And I think it was 92 or 93% of Republicans. And I think that really shows that whether you sit on the left, the side, the middle, or you don't sit at all, this is a bipartisan issue. And it's got bipartisan support across the board. And I think that there's a lot to this that we don't even know. I mean, you look at the fact that our government says, that there is no health benefits to cannabis being a Schedule One drug, yet they have a patent on it for neuroprotectant and antioxidant.
1: Yeah, and they grant licenses to pharmaceutical companies to possess and distribute these scheduled substances.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was a company called Insys who had a, a drug called Subsys, and this was a aerosol fentanyl spray that was supposed to only be prescribed to high barrier cancer pain patients that could not swallow. So this drug company was sending the drug reps, going to the visits. There was even situations where I think there was drug reps in the doctor's visit with the patient and the doctor pushing this drug on them. And they got busted and they were going through all these things. And then in the middle of an investigation against them for all this, the government gave them uh, the right to develop a synthetic cannabinoid.
1: Yeah, and in fact, of the six companies that I mentioned that were granted license to import thousands of pounds of scheduled substances, Incis was one of them. Yeah. When when you consider that the drugs that they have developed have killed thousands of people just this year, and... And the ways that they went about their marketing... and. You know, traveling internationally can open
2: your eyes up to the way the rest of the world is, and you live in this little bubble here in the U.S., but it's interesting, and a lot of people don't realize in other countries, pharmaceutical companies are not permitted to advertise their products or their pills to the general public. And there are strict guidelines on how they even advertise their products to doctors and healthcare professionals. So, you know, as you know, every other commercial on TV is, oh, do you feel this way? Do you feel that way? Take this drug, you know, and everything's a one size fits all pill for everyone. And, you know, we're all different, you know, just because two people are the same age, the same sex, and they have the same condition. They're very different. Their DNA is different. They're going to respond to drugs differently. So, you know, one of the things that I have a lot of faith in cannabis is precision medicine. So like I said, developing these protocols individually for your condition and your genetics and your makeup. So you can really target treat conditions. You know, as cannabis is something that is both a great medicine. I I also feel, you know, personally that it is preventative for a lot of things. I was really excited to see that Pennsylvania added addiction to their their program just recently.
1: Addiction and PTSD.
2: Yes. So, and then you know, with every one of these wins, you see another fallback. Like I know, just in Colorado, as there was an issue where I think they didn't move forward with something for autism there. So it's like you said, like contacting your representative because it really does make a difference. If we all kind of get together and and band together to do these things, um, you know, we make our voices louder, and that's why I think. Like attending things like the NCAA, they do lobby days. I think getting involved with those kind of things is really, really important. And going back to what you said a little while ago, like with the sports players, the celebrities, you know, last year we had Montel Williams that was our plenary speaker and it was great having him. A lot of celebrities are starting to get involved now. Montel was kind of one of the, one of the really early on supporters of this industry. You know, this year we're in final stages of getting everything signed and locked in with our um, plenary speaker for this year. So I cannot, as much as I'd like to say a name yet, but I can say that uh, she is a very, very well-known television and films that is very widely recognized and has recently started to get more involved with the industry and and want to see more education and starting to put her name behind it. So that's something I'm also really excited about on the on the second hand with that is also bringing in new support of new people that are celebrities that have influence and they have audiences and they have followings. I just think we're all our own voice and we're all one voice, but when we put our voices together, we're united and we're louder and we're stronger and you know it's like that saying stronger together, I think that we as a community need to remember that, and you know sometimes you feel a little discouraged with the industry because you see, see things that go like business, 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 and you think sometimes community gets kind of sideswiped and doesn't get as much attention as it should. I also really hope that we maintain, you know, these medical programs all across the, the country because, you know, I've seen some, you know, alarming things in certain states where, you know, they have a medical program and then they bring on their adult use program and then eventually the medical program really dwindles or kind of gets incorporated into the recreational program or kind of really just dissolves. I listened to a bit of you and Tracy's interview and you guys talked a little bit about some of the challenges that her brand and like other, you know, medical brands in California are facing post, um, you know, adult use legalization. So I think that, you know, we still have a long way to go. And it's really interesting to me that we kind of started this movement in 96, right? In California, you know, really the HIV AIDS, I think, movement really pushed that through in California, you know, with Dennis Perone. you know, he passed um, some months back, but you know, he really was the big advocate that got this going in California. And then all these other countries now are starting to like follow suit from us, but they're all doing it on a countrywide level. So it's like, we started the movement, but we're still on the state by state level. Uh, but it really, I mean, it's amazing. You know, it feels like it's taking forever sometimes, but when you just stop and look back, Over the past three, four, five years, we've gotten over half the country. So I think, you know, in that sense, we're doing pretty good.
1: Well, absolutely we are. You know, unfortunately, we are not a nation that is uh, truly democratic in the sense that the people have the power when they vote, because we still have Citizens United to deal with, and we've got a lot of corporate dollars that are influencing policy right now. And that really is one of the most unfortunate hindrances, I think, because the pharmaceutical companies do have the free license to create whatever they want. And just because they've created something else that was successful in the past, and they do a couple of clinical trials on, on medicine that they will promote as one size fits all, like you said that's not good enough. And the drugs that were given that are synthetic are not assimilated in our bodies without doing damage to certain other aspects of our bodies. The biggest example, the most obvious, of course, is chemotherapy. You kill the cancer, but you kill a lot of other things with it. With cannabis, we have that endogenous system that thrives on cannabinoids and it makes every other system in our body more healthy as opposed to making us less healthy because we're taking a certain drug. And, and I think that it is almost criminal that we do allow the advertising here in the United States because I think mm-hmm. that that clouds a lot of perceptions. You know, you see these joyous, happy people, you know, taking these, what can be lethal drugs. And then you hear the, the long list of side effects. And the other thing about that that just makes me crazy is the fact that we pay more than anyone else in the world for our pharmaceuticals. And when you look at the cost of advertising and you see how often uh, pharmaceutical companies are advertising things that patients can't even just go to the store and buy, they have to go to the doctor and get. You know, you just see that there's there's this this real waste of money. Uh, you know, we are paying in our drug prices. We are paying for all of those commercials, and no other oh, absolutely industry has that kind of money to advertise. No other industry has that kind of money to advertise. So, yeah, you know, we've got some. Well, issues. you know, I
2: was I was just on a flight, and there were at least two, uh, pharma, you know, um, products in time magazine i was looking at as i was uh, flying in that had two page spreads each like i mean i i can only imagine what a two page spread in, in time magazine costs. let alone these national television campaigns you know that you see all over the place so you're exactly right um you know with any product you know the, the price is kind of set to offset the overhead so if that's what they consider their overhead to do all these marketing consumers are paying for that and I think that you see a lot of countries that provide health care for individuals. Uh, Obviously, you know, we, we don't do that uh, here in the U S and, but I think that we could do a lot better with our health care here. And I think um, like you said, the premiums that people are paying and the prices for drugs and, you know, these drugs are to the point to where if you don't have health insurance, you just can't afford to take the drug that you need that, you know, that's going to help you or save you or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, basically here in the U S all we have is, you know, you're required to see someone in the ER visit. And then that's it. That's, you know, that's all your yeah. Well, that, do. that's
1: another, that's another advantage to regulating cannabis because, you know, once it's legal and people understand what it can and can't do, it's good for preventative medicine, but it's also got curative properties. And even though we don't have the scientific research, yet here in the United States that's acceptable by the government, we do have a lot of anecdotal evidence, and there are a lot of very highly qualified people who are researching the precision aspects of the medicine of cannabis, and so, you know, there are resources that that cost a fraction of what the pharmaceutical industry is charging and you know if people do find out that they've got a debilitating condition, there are medical professionals who are educated about the endocannabinoid system who can help them understand and it, it just takes a little bit more research it 's not like you can just call up your primary care provider and show up at his office and say, "Okay, mm-hmm. talk about you know because chances are um, they don't know anything yeah you you, you if you take it or they just don 't know anything about it." And, you know, that that's going to change, too, with regulation. Another reason to pick up the phone and call your representatives.
2: <laughs> but, oh, well, you know, it's, it's so funny because, like, I work with, you know, some of the pediatric people that we know we work with, you know, for, for Tracy, for instance, is very educated, obviously, about cannabis. So, you know, I've, I've seen situations where, you know, families are going to doctors and, in, in, you know, the, these cancer clinics and they're like, hey, can you tell us about this? Like, is this an option? And the doctor doesn't really know, but they end up kind of connecting patients with other patients that know more about it to get the education. And that is like we said earlier, the physician education is, is a problem. Um, and, you know, I see even in some of the states that are doing medical programs, I see a lot of doctors that are signing up to recommend, but what education are those doctors receiving? Like how are they being trained to then turn around and give information to the patients that they're recommending to?
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. And we don't know, (laughs) But, (laughs) but there, there is so much information available online. There are thousands of clinical studies that have been done in Europe and in Asia and other parts of the world that are available on pubmeds.gov. So, I mean, if people are really curious, they can actually do their own homework. And something else that we have is the ability to sort of participate in our care with cannabis because we are left to our own devices a lot. But, you know, once we find professionals who do know what they're talking about and who understand these studies and all of that, we can take the lead in understanding even more because there's it's less opaque than pharmaceutical medicine. I mean, you go on and try to find information about any one of Insys's drugs, fentanyl, for example, and you'll see readily available the list of side effects, but you really, they make it so difficult for consumers to understand the science behind the medicine. They make it readable only for trained medical professionals, which is fine, but still, people can't participate in their own care unless they go through this enormous learning curve to understand the chemistry of what's happening. So, And because cannabis has been illegal for so long, the grassroots movement has actually made it a lot more transparent in terms of patient participation. So well exciting. yeah, and I mean like what what you just said is absolutely true. Um,
2: you know, I, I as I mentioned, I'm here in Canada, I'm gonna be giving a couple talks at this conference, but the one I'm giving tomorrow, I have an example of the amount of PubMed hits for marijuana or cannabis compared to the top ten drugs selling drugs. So and it's you know, cannabis is over twenty six thousand, but some of these top selling drugs like Crestor. Uh, Abilify, Humera, like these are nowhere near, you know, Crestor, there's about 2161. uh, When we're talking 2161. So with, with marijuana or cannabis, there's almost 27,000. And this, this data was probably from, you know, going back three or four months ago. So there's information out there. The way that they kind of try to tie our hands and and validate our information is that it's not clinical trials. The thing is, how can we do clinical trials and get the, get the results that we need to when, as we talked about earlier, you have people like Sue Sisley and trying to do the great work that she's trying to do and is doing, um, goes through all these hoops and whistles, and then you finally get a package from the government, and it's nothing like what you're actually trying to study the effects of.
1: Yeah. We have so much to learn still. So many of the, the studies that you mentioned are actually not performed on humans. But just having the indications through the either animal testing that, or just the chemistry in the lab that is showing promise, it's really giving clinicians who will be conducting studies once it's legal for them to do so, it's going to be giving them tools that, that pharmaceutical researchers don't have at their disposal. Sure. So you know, there's there are a lot of advantages to advancing the science of cannabis.
2: Well, you know, you see doctors like Dr. Uma. I have a dear friend out of Maryland. Um, she works with the Forward Girl in Maryland, Dr. Deb Kimless. You're seeing that these doctors, these nurses, these medical professionals that are involved with the industry are just getting fed up and they're just starting to do these awesome case studies with their patients. You know what I mean? So I think that, you know, enough can't be said about that as well. So yeah, that might not be a clinical trial. But, you know, these doctors are taking the time and saying like, look, we need to start monitoring this and tracking these patients and, you know, seeing what's working for them and tracking their success and tracking their, you know, th- their their issues with it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I also don't prescribe to the belief that, you know, cannabis is all cupcakes and rainbows. You know, I think that there are some drugs that can interact with cannabis pharmaceutical wise. I think obviously we talked about the contamination issue. I think getting the right cannabinoid profile for you and your experience is, 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 a, is a journey. For instance, some cannabis can exacerbate certain conditions. So if you have PTSD or anxiety, certain strains or, or profiles of cannabis can actually Kind of pep up your anxiety and PTSD and things like that, so I think um, getting this research done and trying to pinpoint like exactly what it is and why it is that either really helps with things or might you know not be the right strain. you have to find a different one. so I think we're finding out more and more of these answers every day, and just looking back at like the three and a half years that I've been in the industry, we've come you know so far, and you know obviously we have so far to go, but I just look back and when I first came in, I'm like, oh, you know, lab testing, this and that. People are like, I don't want to talk about that. Like just more money, it's just more things for us to pay for. But now I think people are really starting to get it and understand that quality control is ensuring that your patients or your customers are getting quality, clean medicine that you can stand by as a brand and know that you're doing the right thing. And you know, on the flip side of that, I think it's also a marketing, you know, standpoint. If you're, you know, doing the testing, you're doing as much testing as possible. If there's issues, you're pulling it. you know obviously we saw in California last year there was a huge mycobutanol um, spike in a lot of brands, and there was a whole issue with you know regulating that. but I'm very happy to see where it's going and you know for me, bringing new and exciting individuals into this industry is really what my passion is that's exactly what my definition of bridging the gap is really' is, you know bringing the genius science-based people or the genius medical people into the cannabis space so and a lot of these people are people that have been you know afraid or not really interested in getting involved they didn't really understand it but obviously you know as we go along this is just getting more and more credibility and as an industry we need to take the support from everybody that gives it you know obviously recently we saw John Boehner came out and has changed his mind about cannabis and has was saying you know that he believes in it and he's working with a company and you know there was some backlash on that and I'm like you know Just because you might not agree with someone politically or personally doesn't mean that we don't need their support as an industry. They're on our side now. So really, at the end of the day, we want more people on our side than not on our side. And that's how I look at that.
1: Yeah, it's only going to get better. And I, I agree. When John Boehner came out, I was thrilled that he's supporting it because he represents the groups that really was opposed to it for so long and Uh whether it was just a lack of knowledge or political reasons or whatever, at this point is irrelevant. The fact that he's actually advocating now, I think is really helping the political credibility. In Congress, you know, people will listen if one of their former peers actually speaks out on behalf of the science.
2: It's Uh, almost more powerful for our side when we have people that have been so adamantly about uh, against it and so kind of on the complete opposite side of the spectrum that then come around. Because I think those, you know, obviously when the more liberal politicians i can't remember the the lady's name but it was a democratic senator and it was like a headline like she changed her mind about cannabis and i'm like you know shocking you know what i mean like yeah um it's like when you get these hardcore republicans sometimes that's it's great to see the support come from all sides of the spectrum. You know what I mean? And I think we, we really have seen that over the past handful of years. Presidential candidates like Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, who have been you know super open to really pushing this and, and
1: getting the message out there. Once the genie has been let out of the bottle, you can't really put it back in. Mm-hmm. And we have a situation now where people who are still fighting it the reform of the law around cannabis are going to find themselves erring on the wrong side of history because people are going to remember that they prevented their child from taking a medicine that could help them with epilepsy and people will remember those who made it easier for a sick person to get access to a medicine that could save their life you know, or their football hero who was suffering with CTE can find comfort with cannabis because those voices are being heard and the politicians who are fighting this still will find themselves losing their jobs. (laughs) And Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, Green, whatever, if they're not embracing truth about the science of cannabis, they will ultimately be erring on the wrong side of history so I 100% uh,
2: agree with that for sure yeah
1: well thank you for what you are doing to educate people I think it's just incredibly important and and I, I wish you all success with this upcoming event and we'll continue to Put more and more information about it as you release information about your speakers. I'm very eager to hear who your secret speaker is. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) keep you posted on that. Ah, and with that, it is time to bring yet another show to a close. Once again, I would like to personally thank my guest, Josh Crossney for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about Jay canna or the Cannabis Science Conference or other work he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. I'll post his bio along with information and a link to his website. We have so many others to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Alpine Miracle, Health Terra, and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute, Eric Goodall for our theme song, Evergreen and our producers and publishing team at The Cannabis Reporter for making us shine. I'd also like to give a shout out to our program directors at XRQK Radio Network, Society Bites Radio, and of course, our friends over at Cannabis Radio for helping us to distribute our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening around the nation. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, Same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, call your representatives, and make it a great day.